Hello, Harvest Community Church. It's, uh, it's great to be with you today and to open the book of Mark with you. I hope you're enjoying the sermon series in the book of Mark. It has been action-packed thus far. I mean, if you can think back just over the past couple of sermons, it, it's been quick, right? Jesus gets baptized by John, and then he immediately hits the ground running. And, and so he's then the Spirit drives him out into the desert, into the wilderness, where he's tempted by Satan for 40 days, right? And the angels strengthen him. And, and then he goes from there, and he's preaching, and he's teaching everywhere he goes, and he gathers a few of his disciples, and now they go and they preach and they teach, but they're casting out demons, and they're healing folks everywhere they go, and this man's fame is spreading, Right? And, and that shouldn't be surprising, right? As Jesus is going about and he's healing people and he's casting out demons, it, it would be surprising if his fame did not spread. And so people are, are coming to him and they're attracted to him. And they're attracted to him for a variety of different reasons, just like many of you find yourselves in a gathered church for a variety of different reasons. Some, they just want healing physically. Some, they're like, I have a demon, I need that cast out. Some, in, in the future, they're going to be looking for a free meal with some fish and some loaves. But they're all gathered. And Jesus finds it probably very hard to go about in Galilee, in the area that he is working in, because everyone is pressing in on this man. And the demands are high. The fame is rising. And this man in his human state, he can only be in one place at one time. And he's working hard and he's working hard late into the hours, into the night. And all the town is coming to see him. And that's where we left him last week when we finished up with Mark chapter 1 and we finished in verse 34. So today we're going to pick it up in verse 35 and we're going to work our way from verse 35 down through 45. So follow along with me as we look at Mark 1, 35, right now through 39. So it says, And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and he went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next town, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. I mean, listen, think about this. After an extremely long night of gospel ministry, it's important to take notice what Jesus does in response to that, right? Notice that he gets up very early while it's still dark and he, and he goes out to a remote place, right? He puts his sandals on, he goes out to a remote area and he plugs in with time and his father. He spends time with his father, which is his source of, of power and energy. He's removed himself from the chaos and he's, he's got alone with God the father, when weak and weary, notice that Jesus doesn't sleep in and check out, right? That's, that's, that's a temptation for me. He gets up and he checks in with his father because he understands that this mission that he's on, this ministry, this gospel ministry that he has is not only hard, right? It's like way more than hard. Essentially, it's impossible apart from the empowering of the Spirit and, and the face of his Father, which he needs to seek. And that's why he does. We see that this gospel ministry that he has is he's empowered by the Spirit, but he's gone to talk to the Father, right? Which, which is the first point on the map. Notice it says, Jesus was a dependent man 
who understood the importance of prayer. I mean, the, the triune God of the universe has always existed in eternal friendship and community with one another. So it should not be surprising that Jesus is seeking his father in his humanity, right? To stay focused on the mission and for, the God, for God to sustain him by his spirit. He's been pouring out nonstop, immediately going from here and immediately going there. And he's poured out and, and he's no doubt exhausted, And so he goes and he spends time with his father and he's starting to fill up. He's doing that which is most important. He's he's spending time with his father. How about his partners? How about his disciples, right? It looks like they probably, Peter and these guys, have, have probably hit the snooze bar, right? Because they wake up to a great need, a great number of people who are around them and they are looking for Jesus, right? And so they wake up and in a frantic... They're like, where's Jesus? He's, he's out somewhere praying. And so they go and find him. And look what they say. They, they, when they find him, they say, Jesus, everyone's looking for you. Like that would be a shock for Jesus. Like that's why he removed himself, right? I bet they were looking for him, right? Everybody's looking for him. But notice how he responds is it's baffling at first, right? Look at what he said. He said, let us go onto the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that's why I came out. Right? This is not how most people expect him to respond. Jesus chooses to ignore the enthusiastic response to the crowds and move on to a different village in Galilee. And since the announcement of the kingdom and the preaching of the word, that's why he came. I mean, don't miss this. When Peter and the other disciples came desperately looking for him, Jesus did not jump up frantically and say, oh, I had no clue they were looking for me. Where are they at? Let's start healing folks. Let's start casting out demons. No, he says, I'm going to actually leave this town. This had to be a wild thing to those men's ears. As he said, I've come to preach. So do not miss this. Jesus is a preacher. Now, no doubt, this man's the greatest preacher that has ever lived because he is the word of God in the flesh. Come to humanity. And everything he says is authoritative because he speaks with great authority because he has all authority. And this is no doubt and a shocking thing. When, when they see this need and he says, no, I'm going to preach. That's his primary purpose right now. That's why it says he has come out. Jesus coming out into his earthly ministry and mission ultimately was not to cast out demons. It was ultimately not to heal the sick. It wasn't even to save the turtles from like the the plastic straw that apparently invades their lives. It wasn't to cure global warming. It wasn't to keep Trump in the office or to get him out of the office. He came to preach. And, And so we gotta recognize this. This is why the man came out. He didn't come to do dog and pony tricks. He didn't come just to do signs and miracles. Although those things were good and they're important, many of them were, his mission was to proclaim the truth. Jesus is the living word of God. Jesus came to preach the gospel of God. The signs, the wonders, all the things that he was doing actually were were actually testifying to the truth of his gospel. However, they were not the main reason for his coming. I mean, think about it. Jesus could have cast out every demon, healed every sick person that he ever came in contact with, and it would have done ultimately no good if they reject the news, the gospel, the good news, which he came to proclaim. Make no mistake about it. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. 
And this could only happen through the shedding of his innocent blood. He is the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. But think about it. In preaching the word of God, Jesus came to preach the Lamb of God, yes, which means he's both the preacher and the message. This is profound to think about because without him, there is no good news for sinners. He is the good news. And he wants other towns to hear of this good news. For Jesus, the physical needs of the people were important, no doubt. And, but he had a much more important task before him, which was to preach this urgent message of the gospel, right? The father sent Jesus both to proclaim the good news and then also to, to set in place this gracious rule and reign that God had sent him to do. And Jesus' laser focus on his mission. And Jesus' ultimate mission was not, once again, to heal people or to cast out demons. Why? Why? Why wouldn't he do that? Why wouldn't that be his mission? Was it because he didn't care about the sick or the demon of the possessed? I mean, of course not. Jesus was all compassionate, all loving, right? Jesus understood he cared about all suffering, but he primarily came to care for the eternal suffering that was awaiting people that were far from God. And he came to bring a message and to bring himself and to die on a cross so that people could come near to God. That's why he came and Jesus understood the difference between urgent and important. And we need to understand this, right? I mean, think about it. Urgent just means that the situation requires your immediate attention right now. The person that's driven by urgent is always in reactive mode, right? They see a fire and they run and they start to put it out. And then there's a fire over here and they run and they go to put that out. And they're always busy and they're always hectic. And many times they confuse busyness for like fruitfulness, but really they're just exhausted. But Jesus, man, he's focused on the ultimate. He's focused on the important. He's important task of preaching the gospel. Jesus understood this, which is why he prioritized prayer. He prioritized it. He got up. Sleeping in an extra half hour wasn't going to help this man have the energy that he needed for that day. He needed to get up. He needed to realign his thinking. He needed to seek his father. And he needed to remember, I'm here to preach right now. And yes, we're going to heal some folks and we're going to cast out some demons, but I am going to preach with authority. Which leads us to our second point. Jesus was a determined man who understood the importance of his mission. See, it's critical that you and I get this because we live in a culture that is driven by the urgent. Do you know what I mean? Like from global warming, right, to Antonio Brown. If you just hang in there for three days, the winds are going to change. It will no longer be urgent. When I was in high school, it was that the rainforest was disappearing. We had to go plant a tree, right? And, and I'm assuming that the rainforest is still there. I haven't heard much about it. And throughout that time, there's been many other things. And this world is always seeking to distract us. And it's not by mistake. It's really not. There are real forces seeking to distract you from the mission that God would have you on, right? We have a real enemy and it's not one another. It's Satan, right? If Satan can't get you to sin, he will keep you distracted. He will keep you busy. He will keep you focused on things that ultimately are not eternal. And you will not see the people that God has put in your place and in your life that are right in front of you. You'll be distracted. We must be intentional with the lives that God has given us. And it takes real effort. It takes real work. And it takes us getting away 
unplugging technology and spending time with our Father in the Word and in prayer. You know, when we think of the word stewardship, there's a lot of things that come to mind, but primarily, almost always, people think in terms of money, right? But, but really, we've been, we've been given this gift of life that we're to steward everything, our time, our talent, and our treasure. And so, let's, but for now, let's think in terms of money. Imagine right now that God would give you $86,000, 86400 right? Let's say he puts that in your bank account every day. You wake up every morning, there it is. And you have 24 hours to spend that amount of money. How intentional would you be? My guess is you'd be very intentional, right? You'd be out there buying some different things, but as like a year would go on, you're like, oh, there's another $86,400. And And you might even let some money go on, but here's the thing. You can't carry it over to the next day. You have to spend it in 24 hours, right? So hopefully you're thinking, okay, at 11.59, whatever money I don't spend, I'm just going to have it automatically withdrawn. It's going to go to my favorite initiative, whether it's life choices or whether it's to save a turtle or a whale, whatever you're into, and they're just going to write a fat check for whatever's left over, right? You would, I would think you would do that, right? You would probably do that. But do you know that God gives you 86,400 seconds every day? And I don't think that we're that intentional. I don't think we're that intentional with the time that he's given us. And I'm not saying that we should just be running around like a, a blaze of glory all the time, just like exhausting ourselves. No, I'm saying part of those seconds should include resting, should include sleep. They should include prayer. They should include us recentering our thoughts and our minds on this good news that, that this world's dying for and that you have if you're in Christ. And if you don't, man, I pray today would be the day of salvation and that you'd come on into the family of God because he loves you. But you have 86,400 seconds every day. You know, John Piper would say, don't waste your life. But you know what? John Piper just ripped that off the Bible because the Bible says don't waste your life because your life's really not yours. It's been given to you. It's a gift. And you and I will give an account for what we've done with every 86,400 second that he's given us every day. And, And so like I came from a workforce where they really stress time management. But can I be real with you? That's a facade. You don't manage time. You just don't. Time goes on with or without you. How are you going to manage time? Like, hey, let's slow this thing down. Right, let's speed this thing up. You don't get to manage time. You're not God. What you do get to do is manage yourself and prioritize the things that are important to God in your life, like prayer. And for Jesus, it was preaching, right? But God has you here to bring him glory, no doubt. But how you do that is the life that he's given you. And you can glory in him in many ways, whether you eat, whether you drink, or whatever you do, you should do all things in a way that makes Jesus look profoundly greater to anything that you have in your life, because he is. And so we have to be good stewards. So so listen, it's not that Jesus doesn't care about healing. He does. And we're going to see that in a moment in a very profound way. But he came to preach. Make no mistake about it. Jesus is a preacher and he came to call people to repentance and to to submit themselves to God's good rule and reign and and let him rule their lives. So many people want a savior, but they do not want a Lord. They do not want a Jesus who tells them what to do. They, They essentially want a care bear 
who's just going to rescue them from their mundane life and put them on a cloud where they can just strum a harp and enjoy the life that God's given them and suck down a bunch of Starbucks and do whatever they'd want with their time. But that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible, he come to call us to change lives. See, he not only pardons our sin, but when, when he pardons us, he empowers us. To what? To obey him, to enjoy him, to love him, to follow him, to be like him. And he's done that by making a way to the Father. He is the way, right? His arrival is good news for sinners and outcasts who are oppressed and because they're being set free through the preaching of the word. Think about that. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. And so as he's preaching, people are being delivered from the domain of darkness. They're hearing the words of God and they are like, wow, this has authority. Yeah, I bet it does. Because Jesus is authority. He has all authority. And so let's, let's continue in this text and let's pick it up in verse 40. You're going to see he does care about healing because he's interrupted It says, a leper came to him and imploring him and kneeling and said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. I mean, what a wild scene this really is that we have before us. Because in the law of Moses, leprosy, I mean, if you had leprosy, you were required to live in isolation away from everybody. And you were to maybe live in your own community with other lepers, but you could not engage other people. And if you did, they had many rules and regulations because see, leprosy was a disease. And actually, it's still a skin disease. I just don't think they call it that anymore. I mean, it brought much fear to the community of people if you had it because a couple of reasons. One, they believed that God had inflicted that upon you. It was a curse because of the sins that you have committed or the sins that the, your, your parents may have committed or your grandparents, which, which this skin disease often, I mean, it was debilitating and it, it generally led to death, right? Because it would start to eat your flesh. And if you were infected by this, it it almost always led to death because you would like start losing limbs and fingers and noses and lips. And so I need you to picture this. And it's it's like a picture of like the walking dead, right? But this is real life. These are real people, right? And so this man has that. I don't know how severe it is, but my guess is it's extremely severe because he's about to break some rules. And so because in the Old Testament, it gave very specific instructions to not only diagnose whether someone had leprosy, but what to do if they were infected. And you'll find those rules in Leviticus chapter 13 and 14. But I just want to read a small portion from Leviticus 13 verses 45 and 46. So look with me. It says, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let their hair, his head, hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and and cry out, unclean, unclean. And he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. I mean, picture if this is your life. Picture if this is your son's life. Picture if this is your daughter's life, your wife, your husband, someone you love. They're isolated. You can imagine like this person with with leprosy, they're victims of way more than just like bad complexion, right? Or loss of health. It's way greater than that. This would affect how they lived, where they lived, who they could interact with and so on and so on. And so what you would find out, this actually stole their lives. And for many of them, 
They felt so isolated from the people that they loved, the people of God, and even God himself because they could not go to the temple and they could not worship because they couldn't gather. And if they did, they had to come in with matted hair, torn clothes, covering their mouth, and screaming, unclean. That's the picture we have. They were required to live outside the worshiping community. And yet, this man, right? This man seems to ignore all the rules and all the regulations as he goes to Jesus. I've heard, no doubt, like fame is spreading. This man heard that. He's like, I'm about to die. But this man seems to be able to do things no one else can do. I'm gone to him. I'm going to go to him. I'm going to fall upon my knees. And I'm going to ask him. I'm going to implore him. I'm going to beg him. Oh, if you would, I know you can. Would you make me clean? And so this is what he does. He, he begs Jesus to restore not only his health, but in many ways his life. And, and look at the insecure faith this man has. But he has faith. I mean, don't miss it. He says, if you will, right? I love this. If you will, you can make me clean. So he knows Jesus has the power. He's just not sure whether he will. Well, let's see what Jesus does in response. Look at verse 41. It says, moved with pity. The God of the universe is moved to pity to this man. Now think about it. Jesus has knit this man in his mother's womb. He knows how many hairs are upon his head. He knows him. He loves him. And he's moved with pity as this man comes to him with this faith. And it says, moved to pity, he stretched out his hand and he touched him. And he said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. I mean, what a beautiful picture. I mean, this is a very scandalous moment for Jesus as he reaches out and he touches the man. Notice the tenderness and the care that's being communicated with actually without a word in that moment when he touches him because this touch from Jesus speaks extremely loudly to the community of the people that are watching. Everyone's watching because it speaks of Jesus's love for this man. Jesus didn't have to touch him. Do you notice? He didn't have to touch him. He could have said, be clean and and step away because I'm not trying to get that. But he doesn't do that. He's moved with pity. He touches him and he says, be clean. And instantly this man's clean. Imagine just for a moment what this must have been like for this man. This man probably has not been touched for an extremely long time. And Jesus tenderly carefully touches this man. Could you imagine what's surging through his body right there as his heart starts to to pound, his skin starts to heal, he starts to be made whole. And it's all because of a touch and it's all because he said, be clean, I will, I'll do that. Touch, boom, and he does instantly. See, Jesus shows great love and compassion in this act of mercy. The reason it's so scandalous, though, is because leprosy made a person unclean and unable to join in the worship community, no doubt, yes. But that's not the worst part, though. See, it's a contagious disease, right? And so when you touch a leper, you yourself become unclean and not able to join in in the worship community. But Jesus reverses the norm here. Right, he does. He touches the leper, and instead of Jesus becoming unclean, the leper becomes clean. And maybe that doesn't shock you. Like, I've read the Bible so many times, I just read that, I know that, I expect that. He's like clean, yeah, he's he's God. But like, you should be wowed by that. 
He touches him, and instantly this man's clean. Instead of the leper's disease passing on to Jesus, Jesus' cleanliness is transferred to the leper. Does it remind you of anything? Like the gospel? Like the good news of Jesus? Because that's the third point. Jesus is a compassionate man who brings healing with his word and his touch. This just reminds me of the gospel. Think about 2 Corinthians 5.21 with me, where it says, for our sake, right, sinners, unclean, sin-sick, like spiritual lepers, if you could call us that, right? He, God the Father, made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin. Why? So that in Christ, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. See, in this great act of mercy, Jesus takes upon himself this spiritual disease and he replaces it with his own perfect spiritual life. That's the transformation. That's the transfer that has to happen for every sinner. And it happens by faith. See, God the Father places sins on Jesus and he punishes him on a cross. Yes, our sin on Jesus and Jesus' righteousness on the sinner, which is a great exchange. It's amazing. It's a miracle. Jesus is God's answer to our greatest problem. See, this man who has leprosy has, has a real problem with his health, but it's really just pointing to a greater problem that all of humanity has, except for Jesus, is that we're sinners and we're separated from God and we need to be made clean. And Jesus comes and he shows it visibly by healing this man. But he's got a bigger mission. That's what he's preaching about. He's going to go to a cross where he's going to shed his blood and he's going to say, everybody come and believe and trust in me. And he'll raise from the grave and he will then make sinners clean because God has come to touch humanity in the person and work of Christ. This is the gospel, right? It's the good news that our sins are laid on Jesus and his righteousness is laid on on us. And this great exchange becomes ours, not by works that you and I do, not by churching ourselves up, right? It's not how it happens. If if you think that's how it happens, you live a miserable life. And boy, do I got good news for you because this happens by faith alone, by trusting in Jesus alone. And it's a gift. You and I can't earn it. As a matter of fact, if you try to earn it, you're just stealing God's glory or attempting to if you ever could. But you can't because he won't share his glory with you. It's all about King Jesus. The only way that you and I will ever enter the presence of God is by faith in Jesus Christ alone, by his shed blood. You're a, you're a, you're a blood-dipped kid. That's the only way you get in. You're like, I don't like that. Then you don't get in. You don't get in because you and I, oh, we're so wretched. And Jesus makes us clean by his perfect, Blood that he sheds willingly, it says, for the joy that was set before him. See, this is the good news that that brings death to life, right? It, It lifts burdens and it gives joy that's ultimately undaunted in the face of anything that you face in your humanity. Because once you're in the grip of God, no matter what, nothing nor no one can snatch you from his hand. That's good news. And so if God has given his son to rescue you, how much more would he not give you all things that pertain to life and to godliness so you can trust him, you can go to him, you can enjoy him because that's the beauty of the good news. He pardons our sins, yes, but he empowers us. He calls us his own. You're his child. That's better than having your leprosy cured. But look at the instructions that Jesus gives this man. Verse 43, 
Jesus sternly charged him and he sent him away at once. And he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer your cleansing. What Moses commanded for proof for them. So all that is left for this man to do is follow these simple instructions that Jesus just gave them. They're in the law relating to healing. See, Jesus was very serious about honoring the law and keeping ultimately a lid on his ministry, but he's not doing great at that. I'm pretty sure he knew though. But, but remember, he has already commanded the demons not to speak. Now he commands this man to keep quiet about his healing. But let's look and see how this man responds, right? You ready? Verse 45, but he went out and he began to talk freely about it and and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. See, despite Jesus's strict instruction, this healed man, he was supposed to not tell anyone, but he goes out and he tells everyone. He was supposed to tell the priest, but no one else. But that's not what he did. See, in a day, in an age where there's no text and there's no Twitter and there's no Snapchatting, somehow, or any other technologies, there might have been some carrier pigeons, but word gets out, right? Like when lepers start growing noses back and demons start getting cast out, like that spreads like wildfire. It appears that this man's excitement got the best of him, right? And who can blame him? Would you expect anything else? I mean, he's being disobedient, no doubt. And it had a consequence because Jesus couldn't actually do ministry there without being surrounded, but that was already happening. But he was commanded not to speak, and yet he could not keep his mouth shut about what Jesus Christ had just done for him. Strange? Huh? What do you think? Strange? I mean, I don't think it's strange, but in contrast, and I want you to think about it, You and I have received greater healing than leper. If you're in Christ, I want you to know you have received a greater miracle. It's not, it's amazing that Jesus heals a leper. It's far more great that Jesus takes someone who's spiritually dead, breathes life into them, and they are transferred from the domain of darkness, brought into his kingdom, and made alive. That's a miracle. So if you're here and you're in Christ, you, my friend, are a walking, talking miracle. This man received a miracle. He was told to keep his mouth shut. You and I received a greater miracle, and we are called to what? Go and tell. And yet, it's audacious to think about you and I are shamefully silent. That's crazy, right? This man gets a healing. He says, don't tell anyone. And he's like, "Mm, I'm disobeying. And he goes and tells everyone. You and I receive a greater healing. And he says, I want you to go tell the world. And we're like, I wonder what's on Netflix. Yeah, it's, it's, it's true for me too. I mean, I'm not looking down on you. I'm in the mud puddle with you. So having looked at the scripture, what do we do to respond to this? right? Like go cast out demons and heal some lepers. No. I thought maybe I'd take a page out of Jesus's book and tell you all to go out and tell nobody anything about what Jesus has done for you in your life. And I hope that you'd be like the disobedient leper and just tell everyone, but probably not. So instead, I actually want to implore you. I want to beg you earnestly to go and to tell. But, but what's that mean? I mean, I know you guys know that. See, we need to be a people that are prayerfully dependent. 
We need to be prayerfully dependent. It starts with prayer, right? We need to be filled with compassion and we need to be determined to fulfill the mission that God has us on. And so if you're a part of Harvest Community Church, it's a joy to say that, that you are, I hope you are. If you're not, I hope you will be, I really do. But if you're not gonna be here, then be a part of a church somewhere that preaches the gospel, that loves Jesus, that seeks the lost and does what he, he commands and seeks to obey him by his grace. But if you're here and you're part of Harvest, our mission is to increase, by God's grace for his glory, to increase the health and the size of God's church everywhere. Why? Because that's all God's doing in this world, right? He wants brothers and sisters to increase in health. What the heck does that mean? Like so that we don't get a cold, take vitamin B? No, it means that we would love one another, that we would walk with God, that you and I would seek to love one another and then seek the lost because that's what it looks like to be a healthy Christian. And the reason size is in there is because like Jesus really cares about every tongue, tribe, and nation being around the throne of grace, singing his praises at the end of time. If you read your Bible, that's how it ends. That is the mission, and we're to go, and we're to tell, we're to make disciples. By the way, disciples are not just born. You're born again, but disciples are made, and they're made by you, people like you, people like me. And so that's what we do, and we do it by God's grace, but we do it, and we need his power to do it, but I want to give you a tangible step. What does this look like? And so I want to tell you that I want you to look at your map and you're going to notice this. It's going to say name of a person who God has laid on your heart. And you're like, no one's like laid on my heart. I don't even know what that means. Okay. Like someone right now, I want you to pray and think about who it is that's in your life. That's either far from God. They've not heard the gospel. Maybe they have heard the gospel, but they've not responded in faith and trust. Or maybe they're a Christian who's just kind of out to drift. And you haven't seen them in a long time. I want you to write their name down in the map. I really want you to do that, like now. Like, no, like right now. You're still looking at me like, no, now. Like, seriously. Now, if you're like, no name came to my mind, okay, well then go home and pray about it. But tonight, before you go to bed, write a name down. I mean this, because remember, listen, that, that the relationships you have matter greatly for the reason that you and I If you have friendship and relationship, you have more influence in that person's life than a stranger does. See, this is something we teach at at Dare to Share. That's a, 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 let's call it a parachurch ministry that's always working hard to equip students to reach people by sharing the gospel, Dare to Share. And they have this thing called the cause circle, right? Which is built essentially on three simple priorities, right? Prayer, care, share, which essentially is exactly what Jesus did. And, And so... I want you to think about those three things, prayer, care, and share, right? So you might be thinking, well, that's nothing profound. Prayer, care, share, really? That's like how we're going to land the plane on this baby? But see here, this thing, many times we can know something. So information's not the problem, it's transformation, it's obedience. And so, unless you're knocking all these out of the park, I really want you to pay attention because prayer, it all starts with prayer. That's what we saw in our text today. Jesus removed himself to a desolate place. He, he started with prayer. You and I need to start with prayer. That's what we got to see as Jesus did this. Jesus understood how important it was to be a man who was dependent upon God in prayer because you and I, we ultimately can do nothing in the spiritual realm 
We need God's power to do that. And so as we pray, as we spend time with God and we we pray for the people we're seeking to reach with the gospel, God in his infinite power goes before us and he starts to prepare the the harvest. He prepares the heart, but he prepares you to to be sharing the gospel, to be sharing your life, to to be loving them, to be caring for them. Because ultimately, you and I, man, We need a lot of help to do that. And God loves to help people who are dependent upon him. But many times what we do is, think about why don't we pray? Every Christian knows they need to pray. And right now everyone feels like, oh, I don't pray enough, right? Like I I felt that when I was writing this. I'm like, oh, Lord, forgive me. Well, there's a couple reasons, I think. One is many times you can make the mistake of thinking you're self-sufficient. Like I got this. You You don't say it like that, but I got this, right? Or Or you don't think, I think a lot of times people don't pray because you think God doesn't like you or love you or enjoy you. But like if you're in Christ, you have a profound privilege to draw near to the throne of grace and God delights in you. Why? Because you're awesome? Mm, No. I mean, some of you are all right. But, But because Jesus is awesome... And because when you're in Christ and he's in you, you go to the throne of grace and God's like, that's my son. That's my daughter. Oh, I love them, right? Or, or maybe you've made the mistake of thinking prayer doesn't actually do anything. It doesn't matter. It doesn't change anything. I mean, God's sovereign. He's going to do whatever he wants, which is like a really terrible thought. Even though it's true, it's just bad application because he tells you to pray. And so he's sovereign in the means of getting him to do the things he's going to do, right? Yeah, so don't get so smart that you get stupid, right? So pray. What's that look like? Mm, Talk to your father in heaven, right? You don't have to like go and like get in some weird position, right? Um, And be like, oh, heavenly father, right? No, like what does it look like? God, help me. I need you. This world needs you. People around me are dying. And I want to I share this good news with them, but I'm terrified. God, would you rescue them? I need your help. Would you just loosen my tongue? Would you cause me to not be afraid of like, what they might think? Like, would you just help me to embrace the fact that like, I love you and it doesn't matter if they, they approve of me because the God of the universe approves of me in Christ and therefore I don't need to be afraid. Loosen my tongue. Give me a heart of compassion. God, use me. I want to be an instrument in your hands for your glory. Maybe something like that. I don't know what it looks like for you, but pray. See, Colossians 4.23 says this, continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful and with thanksgiving. Pray that God may open the door to the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Pray the Bible. Get in the Psalms and pray. Okay, but next, we gotta care. I mean, really, we, we must care. Jesus modeled what this looks like as he compassionately cared for people's needs, right? He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He, he fed the hungry. He, he bound up the wounds of the people who were broken. He cared. He was compassionate. He touched the leper. And he cared for the whole person, not just for their spiritual needs. And you and I need to do that. We must care. See, many times I think that you and I lack compassion, right? If we could be real, we really do. Um, We lack compassion because if we could be real, we don't care. We don't care. We care about ourselves. 
care about our busy schedule. We care about our lives. And we see people all around us that are dying. And we're like, man, I got to get to this, this thing. It's real important. Netflix is coming on. Survivor, tonight at 8. Actually, not tonight, just Wednesdays. But if you can DVR it, you can watch it later, right? But we, we, but we just don't care. I mean, get real, do you? Do you? Do you really care? I'm not trying to beat you up, by the way. I love you. Jesus loves you. I just want you to get real with where you're at in life. Because many times, the first step to caring is, is recognizing, man, I, I just haven't cared. It starts with considering our lives. It starts with being real with God. It starts with, with confessing. You know what? I, I say I care, but quite honestly, when I look at my schedule, when I look at my bank account, when I look at my life, I do care about me. And then, then we change, right? I mean, God gives you the strength to change. So if that's where you're at, I guess it's okay to be there. It's not okay to stay there. So pray. Ask God to change your heart. He'll do that. He will do that. He loves to answer that prayer. See, you know how I hear people not care many times? Is, is, it'll happen like this. Someone will see someone die of a drug overdose, which just happened to someone I know this week. And they'll, they'll go online and just be like, well, you know, we tried to tell them, we gave them the gospel, and they reaped what they sowed. Is that true? Maybe. I don't know. But, you, but here's the thing. That just shows you're, you're, you're just out of touch with it. You're just out of touch with it. Because that's not what compassion looks like. That's not what care looks like. If you want to be real, Jesus reaped what you and I sowed. And we reaped what, what he sowed. We got eternal life. He took our death. So, so just... Like, could you just like get to the point where you're just a beggar who's telling other beggars, hey, I got some great food for you and it's found at the foot of the cross, but I want you to know my Savior's not there. He's resurrected from the grave. He's triumphant. And you need to know him. Oh, he loves you. Do you know how much he loves you? Let me tell you how much he loves you. Would you, would you just like, could we get together this week? I want to tell you about my Lord. What would it look like to do that? It would look like you caring. It would look like you reorganizing your schedule. It would look like you giving yourself some margin in your life to allow for that. Do you understand? It starts by recognizing that all human beings are made in God's image. It starts there. Remember that you and I have actually never met an unimportant human being. Every human being is so interesting. Talk to them. You'll find out. They have a story you just got to listen to them. See, people, man, don't make the mistake of thinking that people are projects. They're not. They're just people in the image of God that need to be loved. They need to hear the gospel declared, and they need to see this good news that's affected your life as you love them, and you need to engage them. I have an idea. It's crazy. It's profound. I thought about it. It's definitely like, woo. how about we just invite some folks to our house and feed them? Like food, like good food or a hot pocket, whatever you got, man. You know what I mean? But you like feed them, love them, invite them over. What if they smell? Give them a bath. But seriously, invite them over. Listen, Jesus is going to mess up your routine. He is. 
Because he comes in and he wrecks your life in a great way. In a great way. It's going to look different. It must look different. And if it doesn't look different, then don't be surprised when no one's interested in your Jesus. Because if you're the same that you've always been and transformation hasn't happened, don't be surprised when they're like, you're like, MAGA, make America great again. And Jesus, repent. They don't repent. They don't like me. They just, they don't like me because I'm a Christian. They, they probably have other reasons. They probably got some other reasons. No, care. Ask God for compassion. Where does it come from? Well, God's grace. Right, Colossians 3.12 says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, humility, meekness, and patience. And lastly, we, we have to share. After you've taken the time to pray for them, after you've taken some time to care for them. By the way, I don't want you to ever think that you have to like build friendships to share the gospel. The power of the gospel is not in your friendship making. The power of the gospel is in the words. But it does make sense to make some friends too and share the gospel. And then, but there has to come a point when we must lovingly share this gospel message clearly, compassionately, and boldly. See, there has to come a point in the relationship where we've, we've really heard their problems and we've seen where, where, man, they've just made a wreck of their life. Or maybe they didn't make a wreck of their life, but their lives are wrecked because someone else made a wreck of their life. And we, we have to be able to say in that moment, we have to open our mouths and share the good news of Jesus Christ with these people. Why? Because 2 Corinthians 5.20 says that you and I, if you're in Christ, that we're ambassadors. We represent King Jesus. And, and God is making his appeal through you and I. And we, we have to go to these people. We say, we implore you on behalf of God, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. How? Through Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So you're seeking life in all these things that ultimately cannot bring you life. He's the one who can sustain you. He is the one your heart's longing for, and I want to introduce you to him. I want you to know my Savior. See, why, why don't we share? There's a lot of reasons. One, many times it's just fear. It's fear of man. We don't trust that the gospel is powerful. We think that God is somehow impotent. We wouldn't say it that way, but our lives show that that's what we believe. But then, you know, another thing, I think many times we're just distracted. I think we're just distracted. We're so busy, so busy that I don't have time. You know that every time you pull up to Starbucks or you go to another coffee shop or you go to McDonald's, you get your 99 center, whatever you're into, that person that's serving you coffee has a name, has a name. They have a soul. You know, the, the waiter or the waitress that's serving you at the restaurant, they have a name. They have a soul. They're important to God. The question is, are they, are they important enough to you to care for them? You can't care for the whole world. Jesus just said, I gotta go. I gotta preach the gospel here. But God has put people in your life to love and to care for. But if it's just been you four and no more for like 30 years, it's time to branch out. It's, it's time to get uncomfortable. It's time to get to know some new people. Like if you're like, I don't even know what name to write down here because like I don't know any lost folks. There's a sign. There's a sign. 
You need to get to know some lost folks. By the way, the way to stay away from sin is not to stay away from sinners, although you might have a season where you have to do that. The way to stay away from sin is to stick close to Jesus. That's how you stay away from sin. So go and engage them and then implore them. Implore them. See, the gospel, this good news requires a response, and everyone responds to the gospel in, in one of a couple ways. One, by, by grace and faith, they're like, yes, Jesus. Oh, I would love, love to have a relationship with God through you. I trust you. You are my Lord. You're my Savior. Oh, God, forgive me. Empower me. Bring me into your family, however you want to say that. Or it's to be like, that's nonsense. That's stupid. Get me some donuts. Can I get some coffee and get out of here? Or... What I find, there's another category many people respond with, although they don't think about it this way. They're just indifferent. Like, yeah, I've heard it. I've heard it before. Can I tell you something? To be indifferent is a response, but it's not a good one. You must respond. You must respond. You'll either receive or you will reject Jesus. And your eternity hinges on what you do with that decision that he lays before you. So, so don't be ashamed, Christian. Don't be ashamed of this glorious God. Go and share this good news. It is the greatest news on the planet. It's the greatest news on the planet. And you and I, we've not been told to be silent. We've been told to speak, to share, to declare humbly, lovingly, patiently, but with words, with words, and then trust the God of Almighty, the one who sovereignly rules and reigns over everyone and everything to flip the switch and to help them see, Jesus, you are far more great than I could have ever dreamt. And they just throw themselves upon the mercy seat of Christ and, and become born again. Who does that? You know, you don't do that, but God does that through you as you make the appeal, as you share the gospel so friends, as we continue through the book of Mark, right, throughout this fall and in the winter, go to people, tell them, I have met Jesus and he has changed me. And I want you, oh, I want you to meet him so badly too. Will you join me? Will you join me this Sunday? I'll pick you up. We can get some lunch afterwards. I mean, you're just going to really enjoy it. I love my church. I want you to come and meet Jesus in the book of Mark. Will you do that? Oh, I pray you will. I pray you will. You'd be amazed what God would do if we'll just trust him. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.